And we're live with our 79th episode of Absolute Outside and the first one we've ever done at a conference live. Uh, we've got Aaron Reinhardt and Shannon Weeks here with us. Um, I think the, the theme, by the way, Seth, is there anything you want to talk no, no, I'm, no, I'm all good. Thank, thanks for hosting us, James. Uh, this conference has been super awesome so far, and we're just glad to be here and ha- and see everyone. So, yeah, let's just dig into it. I, I know we don't have a lot of time today, so we'll just jump straight into the topics. The future. So, 14 years yes. faster upon us. We've talked a lot about, or the speakers have talked a lot about today, about like uh, empowerment, enablement, guardrails, automation, all of these things. So I guess the, the main topic we want to we want to address is what do you two see um, in the DevSecOps slash AppSec sort of world? What's changing, and what do you predict for the next couple of years? We won't go too far, but we'll say yeah. I mean, Ken and Ken and I definitely have our opinions on this, but we wanted to hear what you guys thought was coming down the pipes and kind of what you see for the next year, maybe two years in that space. What we what we should be concerned about. So. And thanks for agreeing. Last, very last minute. Yeah, to come on here. Right, yeah. By last minute, we mean five minutes Let's ago. Go. So, yeah. thank you. Who wants to go first? Oh, oh yeah. There we go. Wow. Yes. Thanks a lot. Okay, I dropped my phone. That was good. Um, so, what's going to happen in the next year or two? Is that yeah. yeah. So I, I think that what's happening right now in the industry is we're starting to see more and more people talking about security in applications, talking about security in their workloads, and um, you're seeing a greater adoption of things like the cloud. Uh, the cloud, you know, if you look at AWS or Azure or Google, they started adding a ton of security features there. So you're seeing developers have many more options uh, to choose from and to get educated about. That seems to be increasing the ability for applications to now have more resiliency when it comes to adversaries. So we're seeing a little bit more focus, especially for the applications that are moving to the cloud. I think that's going to keep moving up. You're seeing additional security features being added in that area. Um, That seems to be knocking down the problems of making it more ubiquitous for the industry. And then I think, you know, over the next few years, um, more of an adversary focus. So you're seeing a lot more um, people talking about things like RASP and when somebody's scanning you and who's actually doing it and why are they doing it. So you're starting to see some of that come together. I think eventually you'll start to see some of the threat intel players starting to migrate their way towards providing that information so that developers could take advantage of it in more real time. Observability is becoming a big deal right now. So I'm hoping that the observability players who are starting to really try to put some effort and investment there actually understand that their key opportunity is really highlighting adversary um, information as well because uh, developers really need the ability to understand what their adversaries are doing so that they can plan for the security features they might need and not overdo it or underdo it. Okay. Sure. Can I borrow that just for a sec? So is it sort of like a situation, and I'm sorry about that. We have have two months. So uh, is it sort of like uh, what you're saying? Is this like the Datadog New Relic how developers use those metrics and those, that exception logging or that like that information to then decide how to improve their applications and is that sort of the yeah? Idea? So the idea would be that if you're you know looking at the end of the line with your security, you have more capability to look at not just your customer path 
but your anti-path. So looking at your adversaries, figuring out what they're doing and trying to pull that information together um, in a way that makes it so you can make decisions that are actually customer focused, but not giving you know advantage to an adversary. Yeah. That makes total sense. And you're right, like with AWS, with these cloud vendors, with GitHub, we've definitely seen like a lot of more security-centered tooling. Uh, what's your take, Aaron? <laughs> um, I'm just going to kind of add to what Shannon, Shannon said. Um, I think, uh, I mean, when it comes to observability, it's not really about, it's not just a buzzword, right? Um, and uh, in terms of security, we're really hurting on the observability side of things. Uh, and let me make the, uh, clarify the point. What I mean by that is, is that how do you know when something fails? I mean, all we ever really see is footsteps in the sand, right? We've got the general spot quote, but like, you know, through log events, you know, through tracing, right? But like, but like, what about all the log entries in written? I mean, where do they come from? Right? Where, where do log entries come from? Software engineers write them. What do software engineers prioritize? Features and functions, right? So what about all So I love the security vendors out there that will tell you, they'll take all your data and they'll shove it into uh, a data lake and they'll do some or a big data solution. They'll do some you know, uh, prediction based upon that data. But what, you're assuming you have all the right data to begin with. Right, like I have not right. I've tried to solve the software security logging problem. Uh, I was united. I went after it in several different iterations. It's very hard. It is hard to catch up in that space. Um, <clears throat> I've only talked to a few people that had really good answers. One was Jason Chan at Netflix. You know, I mean, he didn't say he gave up on it. Right? He said they try to pull context. He said we're, we're tackling the problem differently. Trying to pull context where we, uh, from places we already know we have good information, and pull more information, enhance enhance the log data. Um, so that is what's one area. Um, two, I think uh, this is self-serving to say this a little bit, but I think chaos engineering is really going to have a big impact in, in uh, security. You're already starting to see that. Um, but um, I, I'm, I'm really starting to see that. Um, but uh, third, I want to come back to something that James actually, James Germanico sort of uh, exacerbated uh, last summer. With uh, They took a quote from Shannon and I. Uh, basically, uh, when I was United Health and she's into it, we both sort of um, uh, we made security people learn how to code, uh, and uh, like uh, it really pissed a lot of people off, right? Like we made this claim that like you know, I mean, the world is dominated by software, right? Like if you don't understand how software works and is made, it's very difficult to make it secure, right? Like and and you know, when I did that at United, I got so much great feedback. I learned that a lot actually, software engineers that. So the, the the goal, the development goal, was that everyone in security had to learn Python, right? In I can't remember what year it was, like 2016. So Perl. No. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. No, oh, no, uh, no, but um, no, but it was great though. It's like some of the compliance people came to me, my peers were like, "Aaron, are we going to all become software programmers?" I was like, "No deal. Nobody wants your code, right?" Like, um, <laughs> but like, it was really about creating empathy, right? Uh, you know, when when you, when you when you have to download Python inside the corporate app store uh, to upgrade it from two to three, right? And then it takes four days to get your request back, to get it done, right? People start seeing uh, how things are, are painful, right? Uh, it, when they start eating their own food. So I'll stop there. So. No, no, I, I, that, that's a pretty common discussion point that we have about uh, being AppSec people, right? The best AppSec people are ex-coders, right? That's where both Ken and I kind of came up from. And I think a lot of people in this room as well. Uh, so probably, how many people here are developers? Or, or claim or, to be or developers, former or former developers. developers, we should say. Yeah. Okay, there's a few of you. Yeah. 
we won't get into the whole, you know, other debates that go along with that, Ruby. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> some of the greatest exploit code is written in Ruby. Ruby. Yes. Some of the greatest exploits are in Ruby. Against Ruby? Oh, no. Oh. oh. Sorry. Probably both. These yeah. are digs at me. Just yeah. So you know. <laughs> digs at me. I was yeah. going to say, wait, I should be sitting next to you. Yeah, yeah. no, no. It's, it's all good. Um, yeah, so, and to go back to some of those other points, uh, let's see. Maybe we'll just move on. Uh, yeah, well, so the, the, the one last thing uh, we wanted your take on before we have uh, Karthik and uh, James Schaefer come up is um, last week we had Clint, or was the week? No, it was Clint. two weeks ago, we had Clint Gibbler on the, the um, podcast. He said something which I think really resonated with us is that the um, – sort of like the, the good AppSec shops or the good security shops are not trying to catch all the vulnerabilities, but systematically one by one eliminate uh, whole categories of vulnerabilities. So yeah, like, and this, this goes yeah. to what you were saying, Aaron, about logging, right? Rather than trying to solve, hey, we've got one log that's coming from this one application, we're trying to solve the whole class of security logging. Um, and the good organizations are the ones that are focused on the whole class, not the single exploits. You think about the industry in general from bug bounty and everything else, it's very exploit, like single exploit focused or single, like even problem focused. And we don't we don't look at the full class, right? We don't look at authorization as a whole. We think about like maybe, you know, function level access control or insecure direct object reference. We're not necessarily approaching the whole problem. And I, we just kind of wanted to get your take on that as far as, yeah, I mean, specifically, like, are there any classes of vulnerabilities you think just won't go away, like, that are just too difficult of problems to solve? Or does this strategy sound like a pretty sane approach, in, in your opinion? I know that's a lot to put you right on the spot to think about, but, um, yeah, curious if you have any thoughts about this. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. Okay, the only thing I was going to say is, like, you know, when it comes to vulnerabilities isolation, I mean, like, uh, the way we're building software today uh, and the complexity inherently in the microservices, public cloud, and continuous delivery, when you combine those things, you now are delivering software at such a scale, such things are changing at such a speed, <coughs> and the way things hit interoperate are very disparate. It's a new problem set. And it's like, you know, we're, we're now in a world where it's difficult to understand the system behavior to begin with, let alone understand and find any kind of security problems. And security, it must understand this problem is coming because when your system is changing and scaling and uh, as fast as, as, as I'm talking about, like it becomes very difficult to, to ensure that the feedback loop of, uh, to ensure there is a feedback loop that your security is remaining effective. Um, I couldn't agree more. I can tell you my the end of last week for me was a true testament to what you just said. This, 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 the systems have gotten so complex that even for developers and for myself and for security, sorry, for security team, uh, uh, yeah, like I can honestly say that was the tail end of my week last week was exactly what you just talked about. So that's super. Well, it, and I think it's about understanding whether or not perfection is even an option. You know, if you look at investment and trying to make software happen, um, this notion that we're going to have perfect software is probably a little bit flawed. So the question is, how resilient does your code have to be in what scenarios? I still go back to the way that you solve this problem is whole classes of categories of vulnerabilities but with an adversary mindset and bed towards it. So if you're gonna design your applications a certain way, 
which adversaries are you trying to prevent? What things are they using against you? All of that goes into the science of being really good at this. And I don't see that yet in the security industry as a means of trying to make things come to life for a developer. But I would say developers themselves could actually do that by simply looking into what exactly are these folks doing that's actually counter to what I had planned to do with the functionality. So, so are you talking like a mini, it almost feels like you're, you're talking about a mini threat model or something like that as you're building out a system or an application? So we, I, I call them attack maps. Okay. Um, yep. So the idea is, you know, you have customers, you have a pipeline for acquiring customers. And the idea is that when you're dealing with your application, you're creating your application, you're also acquiring adversaries. You should understand why you're acquiring those adversaries. They're coming because of something that you have in your application, something that you invented. It could be a business logic flaw. It could be something that just makes that opportunity come to life. And understanding that pipeline and the conversion process will help you to stay ahead of the breaches if you put that kind of thing in place. So it means you can't just use scanners or testing capabilities without having context of your application. I, okay, so... We're going to close it out, um, then bring up uh, Karthik and, sorry, change. Um, and, Andrew, 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 sorry, Andrew Schaefer. My, I can't read, whatever, and I'm dropping phones. So, you know, I did want to say thank you to both of you for coming up here, and I want to continue what you, what you just said. is super relevant to, to, to follow up. We want to talk about architecture design, but I think that's super smart to prioritize the class of vulnerabilities you're trying to mitigate based off of what your actual risk is, like you said, sort of incorrectional stuff. So. Yep. Um, yeah, no, thank you both. Yeah, thank you so much. Last minute. And answering these questions so thoughtfully and intelligently. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. And it was very excellent to meet you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, I got you. I'm so memorable. Are we, do we so, have mics or? Yep. So these this, two. Share, yes. Sharing is caring. So yes. sharing is caring. It's a baton to relay race. So we've got Karthik and we've got Andrew. We're going to go right into where we left off, which was uh, talking a little bit about, I kind of want to uh, back home to what we're as security people doing. So we just talked about prioritizing uh, what you fix in your, your application and your systems based off of adversaries. Um, one thing that we've seen come up a lot recently and like a, a sort of a trend is instead of um, the role of you know, AppSec or uh, SecOps um, being you know, strictly, like we'll say doing reviews or running scans or whatever, pushing more into helping with uh, design principles and architecture and uh, sort of all the guardrails and automation that we've talked about. So the question I guess that we have is, you know, expanding upon that, like what else do, uh, you know, do you see as a trend with our jobs? What's changing? Where, where should we be focused um, in, in the next, again, one to one, two years? Two years. Yeah. Yep. Great. Um, well, so traditionally it feels like we're pushing more towards uh, doing training and more left, but really, what I think makes more sense, and uh, you know, when we used to do when James and Ernest and I uh, used to work together a long time ago, we all have different um, we all had different titles, but we worked on the same team, and we would collaborate on the architecture 
uh, of you know the system. So from a dev perspective, I understood the architecture of what I was trying to build out. From an operations perspective, you know, Ernest was like, hey, this makes sense from a you know uh, observability, monitoring, like all of those principles. And, and James like looked for more security kind of principles in there. So it wasn't like, hey, you must be using specific tools to do security, or you must be using specific actual collaboration around the stuff we're actually building you know, that that makes a lot more sense and I, i'm hoping i know we have a lot of movements and we have a lot of like uh, things we talk about but i'm really hoping that that's kind of where teams collaborate on uh, and that's where we go towards i will thank you yes that's where i've been involved with a lot of automation projects and definitely collaborated with the the security experts. And I, I think that the, the patterns that we'll see in the next few years, uh, not everyone will get there. That's the other thing you gotta realize is not everyone's on the same trajectory. But the, the understanding and the access to these tools is not evenly distributed. But at, at some point you get past, oh, we're gonna sit and collaborate with different roles and put that farther left to, we're going to, especially at scale, and you see what what I consider some of the like, cloud-native security approaches, you, you have to bake the security as a first-class consideration into the libraries and services that you're using. So just like you have, you know, people talk about site reliability engineering, but if you look at what's happening inside of a place like Google, there's there's kind of like security engineering built into those libraries too, right? Yeah. So there's like site security engineering. And then as a developer, it's kind of focused on a business domain, I don't have to think about security as an expert. I know if I use these libraries, these ways, then they'll keep promises about how it uses the infrastructure, it'll keep promises about security, reliability, and the rest of the, rest of the other abilities that I want to keep promises about. So, I mean, that, that sounds more, or it sounds very similar, like uh, some of the talks were, talk, were addressed kind of this pattern-based approach to security, um, that the industry at large is developing these patterns for even bespoke patterns within the within your organization that actually say this is how we do security. This is what applies for us. Is that kind of what you're where you're going with that? I mean, I, in some sense, all those patterns start as bespoke, right? Like yeah. There's a curve of innovation where you, you see these patterns that are bespoke, but then they emerge as as a dominant way to solve problems, and then they become commoditized. And so that's what we're seeing with all this cloud movement is things that were embedded and bespoke inside of these kind of companies are becoming more and more accessible to the rest of the industry. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's where you, I mean, we have advantages that we're sharing things, like I'm thinking about the Neiman, Neiman Marcus guys, that tool that they just released, um, but also all the stuff that's coming out of Netflix, uh, right, it becomes kind of the standard and then, you know, AWS just goes and writes it in into the code somewhere and that's why we have reInvent, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, they can take over those industries, but, um, yeah, so I mean, I, I would I would tend to agree with that, right? Like from a consulting perspective, I see that quite often is, you know, I'll, I'll get into one organization and they have something that they're doing really well, and then you kind of spread that around, not necessarily the code or, or you know, their proprietary, you know, instructions, whatever, it's more the kind of the approaches that we take. I mean, you're, you're seeing a lot of that at GitHub, are you not? Yeah, yeah, sorry, uh, you mind if I buy So, yeah, I'd say we're, we're definitely, we're definitely seeing that. Um, we're also seeing a weird shift where, so you know, my roles in application security, uh, application security, and we're also seeing this weird shift to where like uh, we can't just focus on the code and the applications yeah. anymore, and we have to focus on 
the code is infrastructure and the actual infrastructure itself. And it's this weird, it's this weird place right now. And I, I feel like it's it's not just us. It's a lot of people um, where you're having to like, you, you now need to know about the cloud dockers and containerization and end to end. You're not just looking just the code writing up, like the code running on the infrastructure. You're like looking at end to end everything because it all plays a part. So especially when you talk about risk, like Shannon was talking about, and determining what people would be going after and then trying to, what you talked about, uh, security engineering libraries or build, uh, like we keep talking about guardrails to um, people. And yeah, language is also really important. Um, I'll give you an example. So like for us at Oracle, um, we have a you security know, team, but um, when I first you know joined the company and we were releasing a product, it was really scary to go do a security uh, review before we release things. And uh, you know, once we once we kind of went through the process, it was interesting to kind of see um, you know some of the tooling that they used. We built this internal like tooling that relied on containers, and we were releasing stuff. And we were a container team, so it was like, oh sweet, this is actually like a language we understand. And we started talking about architecture and stuff like that. So we went from big scary thing to like a common language of here's how you know from a security point of view we're using well, like we built out this platform and we were able to give them insight on hey you know you actually should be doing this other thing said to build uh, this platform out etc so there's like shared understanding so my focus really for the last 10 years has been trying to help people deliver IT with better tools and processes you know there's a that, that that's kind of the ball through you know, people call that DevOps or what have you but a lot of it comes down to like the human behavior, and you, you talked about collaborating, you know, with Wicket and, and sort of that process. So, if you work at GitHub, I believe there is a project that's happening right now to do some prototyping with the um, upstream like Spiffy Inspire, which is basically getting uh, per uh, microservice identity, which is very interesting when you start to think about the. Uh, kind of like security implications of being able to trace um, what each individual microservice did. Like, you know, if it starts to misbehave, you could, you could um, decide that that's the one you want to shoot in the head or what have you. Um, so, so maybe like the two humans that are concerned with these things at GitHub should meet each other and talk about it. <laughs> and like maybe you could help those people think a little different about the, the security implications of that. Uh, and, and and maybe learn something about some interesting stuff they're doing on the the networking and routing ingress egress stuff with the with Kubernetes stuff. So. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of interesting and I'm sorry. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of interesting initiatives along along these lines. And some of people keep doing stuff. Yeah, people keep doing stuff. Well, no, you see, you see, like I think it's it's pretty common now for people to be breaking out of the monolith, and uh, you know it's been common for several years now, at least several years. Um, but to see, to have the visibility and like do, and I know you've talked about service to service authentication <laughs> extensively. And uh, that those are just like super, not easy to solve problems of like tracking everything, having the visibility, but also doing everything securely and talking between services and all that fun stuff. But, but this is how I'm talking about is those, those are going to become commonly shared libraries. Yeah. That will be not be shared in that, in that work across the industry. So if there's a framework right now that gave you out of the box the ability to to manage that identity and the policy, then you, you'd use it, right? Yeah, of course. Well, like, Who wouldn't, right? Spit the inspire. Like, it's right there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we have to wrap it up because we are going to bring on Jerry Gamble and Cat Sweet next. And so I just okay. wanted to thank you both. Again, 
anybody who comes yep. up here with last minute questions, they don't know what they're going to answer. Yes. Yes. It's the musical <laughs> podcast. Yes. Yeah, it's the, the musical the podcast. Thanks. Thanks. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's it's a, it's a lot last minute. Surprise um, podcast. Yeah, surprise, yeah. Podcast. surprise podcast. Surprise musical chair podcast. That's what we're doing. We know Jerry. Uh, we have never met, but it is nice to meet you, Kat. Uh, so, where do we want to go from here? I guess is the question. Well, I, th- I, I still think you know, seeing what um, people's opinions are on where we're going, right? The next one to two years, kind of what you're seeing, because everyone's in a different organization. Everyone's dealing with different different problems. Like what I see from consulting, what you see from GitHub is, is obviously a different. Jerry with data collection. Yeah, Jerry with data collection. So let, let's stick with that, right? Like where do you see the DevSecOps space going for the next one to two years? What should we be concerned about? Sure. Let's go first. Go for it. Okay. Oh. All right, so DevSecOps is dead. <laughs> uh, we're just going to start calling it Dev again, our, our Dev biz. Yeah. I, I'm of a strong mindset that that DevOps started with the development team and the business teams getting together and complaining enough about the ops teams that <laughs> they just that, eliminated the that, ops that, teams? that they yeah. said, okay, Dev, you can do ops now too. So you're DevOps. And after they knocked out the ops team, they come for their next biggest enemy, which is security. Yeah. So like, so now you're DevSecOps and that's done. And I think what will, and like I've literally, it's the, Moving to dev biz, where it'll be a dev team following business goals really tightly, and and that that will be the team in most organizations in the next two to five years, especially with the cloud providers picking up a lot of the, the heavy legwork yeah. and automation. So you hear that, James? For next next year, just dev biz days. Uh, we're we're gonna work on that. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna work on the branding. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Good. Good. <laughs> You mean it's not going to get longer? DevSec tests, QA, infra, help desk, sales ops? Yeah. Biz? Biz. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's why we're all here anyway. Yeah, from um, yeah. uh, the security side of things, one thing that I started to see shift a little bit is um, Western security, there's, there's this usually a bit of a divide between like corporate security, the stuff we use, um, uh, like our infrastructure, our accounts and stuff, and application security, you know, ones that aligned with engineers um, focusing on the stuff we make. And um, I, I see the line starting to blur a little bit. That was even something I was encountering um, as I was getting ready to leave my last role is we found ourselves working in parallel quite a bit um, between the AppSec and the um, security teams. So there's a bit of a, as we get more um, infrastructure as code and as we get more um, the gray area between what we're, what we're building and making and what we're using, um, I think those are going to converge a little bit. Yeah, t- totally. I mean, I, th- I think it's, yeah, I totally agree. And like, um, it's just interesting how all of our actually out of curiosity from the crowd, who 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 does uh, traditional security ops like networking type, so one, Two. DBA stuff that like database database administrators, application security, or software development. Yeah, what? Okay, so I'm trying to figure out what the what, who just was say just generic security, security in general. Okay, <laughs> interesting to get a, a read on the demographics of the room. Um, so uh, I wanted to go back to um, data collection. 
so what what's like the, the typical use case currently for you know folks who are like using your product, for instance? Yeah. So the, the use case is, and I, I have a night talk here in five minutes to talk about this, is that yeah, you have to use the data to make yourself smarter because you, there's there's way too many CVEs now for anybody to patch or to care about. And then I'll show the numbers. I don't want to lead lead my talk and, no, yeah, and, give, your talk, and give all the best data. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but there are very few CVEs that the average person should care about in this room. And, and if you're not using some kind of threat intelligence to, to – to you know, to get rid of the majority of CVEs that come through your systems, or to to put them off, you're not going back to helping the business. And at the end of the day, DevSecOps is a business enabler, and, and that's what we're all here for is to is to help the business meet their goals. It's not to help security meet their goals. So yeah, if the business doesn't have a business, then we don't have jobs, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, it, that, that kind of goes back to the, I know we've talked about this before, Jerry, with the, you know, if if a breach happens and no one cares or no one notices, does it, did it really happen, yeah. right? The same thing is with CVEs. If you watch the number they're coming out, like what's being actually reported on a daily basis, if you track that at all, they're just, you know, massive amounts of them. But, yeah. Well, and GitHub just uh, released a new tool where they're going to auto open CVEs for any filed security bug starting last month, actually. So you're going to see the number of CVEs like quadruple in 2020. It's, it's becoming automated. And yes. so at, at which point, like, how do you know what you care about? Right? And that's, yep. So that, that's exactly what you're saying. Okay. So what are some of the biggest challenges you face in your day-to-day -day, um, uh, work? Um, so, yeah, um, so I, I recently left security operations a couple months ago, um, joined um, Capslate uh, as um, a member of their product team's tech evangelist. Um, and so I think um, one of the things that, since we're Linux endpoint detection and response, one of the challenges that we try to bear in mind is exactly what I talked about in my keynote, how do we, how do, we do this without breaking production? Like how can we be mindful of ops and bake that in instead of trying to retrofit it? Um, so again, things like resource limiting and like not using trial models. Um, so it's kind of a challenge of, um, of making making a product and making coming up with solutions that are kind to both uh, security operations and DevOps because um, those two are often um, it, it can be really hard to uh, find tooling that that pleases both. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to, I mean, when I say they, let's, let's clarify, DevOps <laughs> is trying to move quickly. And like you have both spoken about, you're trying to build a business and you're trying to make money. And with security, it's, you know, friction sometimes, right? That's sometimes. It sounds like from what I, if I had to summarize everything that I've heard today, it seems like removing friction is like the number one priority going forward. Um, and just something that all everybody we've talked to today is pretty focused on. So, but accomplishing it in different ways for sure. Yeah, and it's going to depend on the organization, obviously. So, okay. yeah. I was going to say, I think another thing too, um, kind of along some of the lines, is you have to sort of embrace some of the friction sometimes. Um, one of the things that's pretty top of mind for us is the fact that um, the environments we're working with are often really complex. They're not as straightforward as they used to be. People have like bare metal containers, VMs, all different flavors of operating systems, all the things. So how do we solve for that? So we are now, <laughs> we actually have to close it out. Yeah. We don't want to, uh, 
Well, because the, the, the next speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, we want to thank you both and, and for, for coming on and giving us your thoughts. And to the audience and anybody out there uh, viewing the podcast. Anybody uh, listening? My mom. Yeah. So. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Thank you so thank much. You so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, thanks for having us, and yeah, if you, if you, if you didn't hear it,